0: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At Bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only three ninety-nine per month. Deep
1: left field, it's gonna go. Alvarez ties the game.
0: Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used
2: with permission. There's not going to be fans in the stands, so you can't stand, you know, four feet apart and talk in a normal normal voice because someone's going to hear you. So it's going to it's going to take some getting used to, and I'm hopeful that over the course of the season it it kind of i don't want to say again the virus isn't going anywhere but hopefully we get a little more comfortable and we're able to to kind of you know not have to worry so much about being exactly six feet apart or whatever it may be it's going to be different there's always you know in every aspect of the year 2020 there's going to be an asterisk next to the season and and that's just one of the the nuances of the year is is you got to find a way to, to communicate
1: without getting right up in each other's faces Who'd you say that was, studs? I didn't recognize the voice. James McCann. I'm sorry? James McCann. Steve. That would be James
3: the uh, White Sox
2: backup catcher, James All right. McCann. I just he was, didn't uh,
1: hear it. I'm having difficulty. I'm old. I have hearing problems. James McCann. We'll talk about him. We're here. And we you. will talk about him with JR, James Feegan of The Athletic. He joins us now on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Thanks for joining us on the score, James. He's not look, studs. Okay. Saturday suckage for a reason. Thought you said you had him. It's okay. No, oh,
4: I said I don't have him, Steve. Um, I'm well, right this now. segment
1: is just
2: this segment is awful. This is just awful. <laughs> I hate just, when you first of all I hate when you two fight. It just it upsets me greatly from where I am. So guys, let's get it together.
1: Okay. The Tech Zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at RosenHyundai.com. And we have this text from the 773. I set up an appointment with Permaseal, and it's for the 23rd of September. I need a new sidewalk, and I want to put up a privacy fence. Should I wait after Permaseal fixes the cracks in my house, or can I go ahead and start those other two projects? Go ahead, Mark. Hmm give 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 me 773 text or an answer on on um
2: I fixing would say up this place. yeah my my suggestion would be set up set up the appointment and don't ever text again
1: All right there you go In that case we're going to try this again with James Figa, joining us now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park James thanks for joining us today in the score appreciate it Thanks for having me. All right. So the from what you heard from Lucas Giolito yesterday, a anything surprise you? What jumped out at you? Uh, what what made an impact on what he had to say as we prepare for the alleged start of spring training
4: 2.0? Well, listening to him and James McCann yesterday, I would say is a balance of they're both they both want this to happen. They both are ready to go. Uh, they both uh, were part of the – were on board with the kind of the union's push to try to play as many games as possible, and they kind of feel like this is something they have to do and they want to move forward with. At the same time, the litany of, like, doubts that they aired makes you wonder, like, is everyone kind of going into this with the approach of, well, we hope this works, but no one will be surprised by just the wrath of, of positive cases and having to shut down – and, uh, you know, travel and having guys in a, you know, 30 guys in a clubhouse is just something that's not going to work while well all this is going on and the, the pandemic continues to, to rage. So it definitely wasn't like I came out of it being like, yeah, this is going to go great. This is going to, there's going to be baseball hot diggity and all that. Uh, obviously they're going to try. Uh, it, but it seems more like this is their last opportunity to launch a season, uh, rather than their best one. Have
2: you got any kind of indication, whether from speaking with those two players or anybody that you've talked to, that if if they do have to stop the season, would would it be stopped for good
4: or would it just be a delay of game? I think obviously they would try to lean towards the delay uh, and they'd want it to. Be something very minimal uh, with giving themselves something within, in terms of like a week or two of wiggle room to, to make up time, but it, it's not really built into the schedule to allow it. It's it 60 games in 60 days. They can't like shut down right. for two weeks. They're they're hell bent mm-hmm. on not um, eating into their playoff time. I feel like they'd sooner shorten the season than they would push it back to any degree. Um, there, there's just not a lot of. Uh, it, it's almost like you. I don't think it's a good idea, and they should have shut down when they would have, but it's almost like they'd have more room to to kind of improvise or respond to things if they had just kind of continued going uh, and install all the protocols that that they have now rather than trying to – they basically have to throw a perfect game to, to not have this disrupted, and the, the circumstances in the country are not really conducive to that.
1: We're talking with James Fegan of The Athletic. We're talking baseball here on The Score, White Sox baseball. James, let's presume we can come back to the specter of COVID-19 later. But, but this 60-game season, I've been asking this of my Sox fan friends. Is this opportunity worth a year of service time for this team?
4: Um, I would think of it in terms of, I would say yes. The short answer, yes, but uh, I would think in terms of uh, you need Nick Madrigal to play. Uh, you need that, that's probably the, the main guy I would do service time. I mean, you've already extended Luis Robert out to where his he will hit six years of service time before his contract expires. So there's no real purpose to holding him back anymore. But I, I think you need developmental action. I don't think they're going to use anybody like Andrew Vaughn. Or, or rush up like Johnson, Steve, or any kind of their prospects that they would start to clock on, that they would already kind of be, be rushing a little bit to get them involved in this, I don't think that will happen. I think maybe service time is maybe the, the, the straw that broke the panel's back on that a little bit. But I think with, with Madrigal, you're not really developing him um, if you just keep him on, in, on, a, on the taxi site the entire year. That, just playing inter-squad games is not really going to get him better. And so, I think losing an entire year of play for him would be, you know, just as damaging. I, I expect them to do the the same kind of uh, methodology they would have employed with the normal season, but now they only have to wait like literally a week to hold him back to get that extra year. I would expect that to be deployed, and I expect teams to be pretty uh, Machiavellian about how they do that uh, across the league, because why would you, you know, burn a year just to get the. You know, six extra games that you you would get from from starting them on opening day, but I I, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it should transform the White Sox roster as it would the last couple of years when you're talking about holding back Luis Robert, holding back Aloya Meadows.
2: Well, there yeah, there is the magical question. Then from a a different perspective, from an injury and recovering perspective, to me there is the the Michael Kopech question too. Do you think, James, that he will be in or part of the starting rotation from game one of this season?
4: Yeah, I don't see really an argument for it. Um, you, you already had started his clock uh, you know, a year and a half ago at this point. Let's watch him pitch in spring. That dude's healthy. Uh, he's, he's ready. The only real reason to start him in AAA at the start of the year was you didn't think he could pitch 200 innings or you didn't want to put 200 innings on him. Uh given in his first year back from Tommy John's surgery. That's not a concern anymore. He's not going to pitch 200 innings in a 60-game season. Uh, you, maybe you don't put him in the rotation right away because you have five healthy starters. Maybe you use him out of the, the bullpen, working two, three innings and whatnot, having fun uh, with the, the tool sets that he offers, you know, have at it. But I there's no reason to really hold him back and not have him active because you can't overstress him given in a two-month schedule. Um, you can be as cautious with as him you want, but there's, there's no real reason to not use him in any fashion.
1: Our guest is James Fegan. we're talking White Sox baseball, he writes for The Athletic and does terrific work, we're talking baseball here on The Score. So speaking of that, um, the, the Rick Hahn kind of suggested they could lean towards the opener idea using the depth of arms and also some guys coming back from injury just to, to build up their strength because of the oddity of the situation. Did I misread that? Do you think that's the way they're leaning? How do you think the White Sox play
4: this? I think I I, I took it more as them leave, leaving it open uh, more than leaning that way. And given how, like, strictly anti-opener they've been, especially the coaching staff until now, that's, that's, that's a jarring switch. I think the opener is more interesting for um, – I have, a, you know, the leadoff man of the opposing team is, like, Lindor or somebody, or a tough lefty. And I use Chase Fry, who's good at getting lefties out, but maybe I'm not going to miss Chase Fry that much in the eighth or ninth inning, and I, I just use him to get a quick matchup and I make it easier for, for Ronaldo Lopez, who gets, you know, torn up by lefties a little bit. Or if I have Dallas um, Keuchel or Gio Gonzalez starting and there's righties the top of the order, maybe I make it easier and I throw out somebody like, uh, you know, Zach Birdie, who is not, you know, yet one of those elite relievers that you count on the late innings, but somebody you can make it a little easier for, for your start early on. I, I, I like the idea of more super relievers of, of having guys like Rodon or Kopech or or Dane Dunning available to throw two or three innings uh, in the in the middle innings or in the later innings as needed. I, I like the idea of that of of having more length given it's going to be a combined uh, kind of compact schedule later on. But uh, for openers, I, I really like to use kind of your, your middle run guys who maybe seem unremarkable but can get you you know good outs uh, if if the matchup's right.
2: So you mentioned Rodon as a possibility doing two or three innings out of the, the bullpen. Is that what he is destined for now? Is he going to be a, a bullpen guy,
4: a reliever? I think it's hard to say what anybody's destined for because you right now you could talk about having too many starters or having extra guys if everybody's healthy. Well, right now, before spring training starts or, and before you know guys getting tested for COVID-19, that's like the least likely scenario. Most likely is you're going to lose a couple starters, whether they're ramping up too fast, or somebody has to sit out for because they're sick, or, or anything that pops up. You know, pitchers get hurt uh, all the time. So I think the most likely scenario is that Radon is the starter because you just need him for that. But if everybody is available and everybody is uh, you have the surplus of arms, like you look like you have right now on paper. Then, yeah, having somebody who's post-TJ, who's, who's dealt with injury before, having him come out and whip a bunch of sliders against tough lefties and later innings, that sounds really cool. I, I, but I don't know if it's going to it, – it's only something that can happen if the necessity for having five guys uh, kind of isn't there.
1: Talking on White Sox baseball with James Fegan of The Athletic. Uh, earlier today, James, the uh, uh, manager of the White Sox, Rick, Ricky Renteria, was on the score inside the clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. And he kind of indicated that he looks at this season as a series of of moments compared to or instead of letting somebody fight through something and develop because it pays off a month from now. A month from now, there may not be baseball. And that seems to be a a change. It seems to be um, an example of the urgency involved. Have you seen... Ricky Renteria do this? How do you think he he does this? How do you think he responds? How do you think he performs in this season of moment as opposed to development?
4: I don't know. I, I don't think we have seen him do that. I think he's had four teams uh, uh, with the Cubs and the White Sox combined that were all rebuilding. And I, I that was part of probably my argument of not saying, not advocating for him saying he's going to be a great uh, playoff manager or somebody who's going to uh, be a great leader contender even though other people endorse him for that but that we don't know because we've literally never given him the roster to do this so the fact that not only is he going to be uh, managing a contender but or uh, want to be contender but managing him in a situation where the all the, the entire season is kind of high leverage moments where he can't let guys struggle through things he can't you know, call bunts because he thinks it's important for a guy to be able to lay down a bunt in a certain situation, even if it's not the right call. Uh, all, all these like kind of tools he's employed over the last three years are kind of moot. So it'll be really interesting because this team is kind of built on some guys that if when it, if you were starting a normal season, you'd be prepared for Luis Roberts to struggle for a month or two months and not really changing anything about throwing him out there every day because this is your guy long term and it's about building him out long term. So does that focus change in the course of a shortened span? I, I kind of wonder. Um, I wouldn't think it's for Luis Roberts, but maybe if Ronaldo Lopez gives you three bad starts the way he started out last season, maybe that the, the calculus changes a little bit. Maybe you're less focused on, hey, we think Ronaldo's going to start a long term and more he's killing us right now in a season that's going to end in five weeks if we uh, if we let this keep going. So, yeah, I, I think that would be interesting and unprecedented to see Kirk Renneria have the kind of the quick hook on guys that he's really given a lot of trust to the last couple of years.
2: Dan, he's, he's got a pretty good trio of guys, and more than that, really, in the bullpen. And Steve Cshek, Alex Colomay, and Aaron Bummer. Bummer's the guy I want to ask you about, because I it, it seems like it's always our want when you have a, a guy who was really good in the later innings, 7th and 8th. You're like, the the um, I, I, I tend to say, okay, what about... Aaron Bummer, or that guy as a closer. Is there any possibility that in certain situations Bummer will get a chance to pitch the ninth inning over Alex Colomay?
4: I certainly could see that if Colomay struggles. I I think that's that's your first guy that you think is this is a guy I trust to get big out. Um, And I certainly see it uh, if the compact schedule results in Colomay working two, three days in a row. I don't think you want to work Colomay into the ground. He's 30 now, I believe. Uh, there, there are limits to what you can push in that. I think Bummer has value in that. I wouldn't necessarily expect the same from Colum a Is that that's pro- if I need two innings in relief, and you frequently did last year because the bullpen was not very deep at all. Um, I would probably trust Bummer to do that more than anyone else in this bullpen. So I think that has value beyond just like having the top dog in the ninth inning. And I don't know if they necessarily replaced or built in the bullpen depth with young guys like. You know, Zach Birdie is somebody we expected two years ago at this point. Tyler Johnson, um, mm-hmm. Ian Hamilton, guys like that have not really proven themselves in the major league level yet. So you don't really have someone who is going to slide into the seventh days role and give you the same security as Bummer. So that would be my hesitance. But could he do it? Would he be good at it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I he had a save last year when Columet had worked back to back days. And I expect he'll have a save or you know, maybe five or six uh, at some point this season, maybe. Uh, probably, uh, make it a smaller total given that it's only 60 games but he's, he's totally capable of getting the upgrade at some point and I think when Colome leaves in, in free agency after the season that's probably another time you consider him for that role again. James
1: Feagan is our guest he covers the White Sox for the athletic we're talking baseball here on the score James my last one for you Ryan McCann uh, James McCann again seemed like the adult in the room yesterday talking about player responsibility and discipline. Say Talking about, you know, you go to the field, go home, be with your family, don't do anything else, even though the rest of the world is trying to open up and do something else. But you don't have, he indicated you don't have that freedom, that liberty as a professional in this instance regarding baseball, and you have an obligation to your teammates. So a largely young team, but with some quality veterans, White Sox prepared to be this kind of disciplined and this kind of show the self-discipline and show the responsibility and respect for other teammates to obey what are common-sense social distancing rules?
4: I have no idea because they've never been put in the situation before and baseball players are not <laughs> who I would think as far as, like, responsible, like, going out and uh, some, somebody you behave to live a month Expect to live a monk like existence off the field. Uh, you know, Gioleo, a young guy to his credit, also talked about like that's something that they need to emphasize in player meetings and talk to each other about how they all need to basically be perfect to make this season work. And yeah, I, th- I guess they understand that. Um, those are probably two of the more well spoken, sharp guys in the clubhouse, whether or not. Even if they have, you know, 95% adherence to that, though, there could still be an outbreak in the clubhouse. So, for me to say that I think everybody gets it and everybody's going to be on their best behavior, I mean, I mean, look at look at the look at the graphs across the country. That's not working nationally. I don't know why the baseball players would be especially great at it, but you know, here's hoping. Since you know, all of our jobs kind of depend on it a little bit.
3: <laughs>
2: Amen, man. Appreciate it's your true. time.
4: It's true.
1: Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. All right, James Fegan is the of the athletic talking white Sox baseball. We talked a lot of baseball, some basketball. Mark, I have some football things. Can I bring those to the table? Can we have a discussion about the bears, my friend? Please. We'll do that. Please. Okay. We'll take a break and we'll come back and do that. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Roadie, it's Saturday Suckage. We thank you for listening. We suck. So your lack of self quarantine doesn't have to now, but. Um, (laughs) We still wish you'd practice that. Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. Welcome and welcome back. Steve with Mark Rohde, Saturday Psychics. Thank you for joining us. We can be reached in the Tech Zone, brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at RosenHyundai.com. It's the same number as our phone system, 312-644-6767. Should you dial that, then Trash Panda, our producer, will sound the breaking phone call sounder and then introduce you to us and you can join us as we broadcast live from the hyundai studios brought to you by your local hyundai dealers so bears mark I, i read this with interest the discussion about it grew out of when the bears were running all those assistant coaches and some of the players and all that stuff a week ago and mike furry the receivers coach was talking about Riley Ridley. And was talking about, saying he's excited that that the biggest growth we're gonna see, or Bear Strands will see, there's organization we'll see, is Riley Ridley. His preparation, quote, his preparation, his attitude, his desire, the passion he has to become successful in this game, the fire and the passion. He loves the process. And I believe when you love the process, it's going to be successful. So, Furry also said learning the playbook and adjusting the the speed of the NFL were among the reasons that Ridley didn't receive many opportunities last year. And he had, you know, six catches, 69 yards, active for five games. So, how does he make strides... With the speed of the game and the playbook, if they can't do anything about it, there's no OTAs. Who knows what's going to go on when they get to camp soon? How is they? How how is he supposed to live up to this? Yeah, I don't
2: think it's realistic. I mean, his season was derailed last year in Bourbonnais from an injury, a leg injury. And he never recovered from that. And I mean that from a standpoint of getting caught up with the playbook. And, you know, one of the concepts in a Matt Nagy offense is that you do, and this is not necessarily original to the Bears, but you must know all of the wide receiver positions. So it might have been even unrealistic for Riley Ridley to have caught up last year because he was injured. And then when he did get into those games, he had a couple of nice moments but he did look a little lost at times and really didn't look like one who had caught up with the speed of the game. So I think that they, one of the other guys that Mike Furry mentioned prominently during that Zoom call was Anthony Miller. And the idea that they have been working with him for the last couple of months on a regimented, uh, responsible schedule, I think they really are in Miller's ear to have to to be ready this year to be conform to the offense a little bit more and do more of what he did towards the end of last season when he had a couple of big time games one of them at Detroit the Thanksgiving day game where he had a couple of huge catches and over 100 yards and that's what they need from him. And it was and it's it's obvious that from what the Bears are saying that it's more of the mental part of the game, things that he got away with in college at Memphis and improvising you can't get away with at the NFL level. So it's gonna be it's gonna be big for we know what you know what to expect out of Allen Robinson, but you know, I I hope Riley Ridley takes that next step. He's definitely got the talent, he is a terrific route runner, all of that stuff. But I think they're really going to be depending on Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and then Tariq Cohen to become a bigger part of the passing game again. And then we'll talk about Riley Ridley and, you know, Javon Wims and some of the other guys lower on the depth chart.
1: So the Miller thing is interesting. He, he you know, he comes in, he leads the Bears in touchdown catches. And, and some of that was ad-libbing, and some, which, which was an extension of what he felt free to do, in college, um, I don't know if anybody is uh, how easily coached is he. How how does he take to the kind of discipline where he can't ad lib? That seems to be what it comes down to, doesn't it? There's a precision demanded of running these routes. Matt yeah. which looks bad enough when you're when you're ad libbing if you're not going to be precise. Is that what we're dealing with? Yep. Him. Yep,
2: that was a struggle. It's been a struggle in, in terms of that, of, of Miller staying within the offense, learning the offense at times, and the Bears have been pretty public about it, that those are things that he, he has to stay within the confines of, as you said, what is a very precise offense. The talent is there, man. I mean, Miller's got it all and he is he is strong he is fast he is a good route runner he's got to stay healthy he has not shown to be durable i mean the shoulder thing is is real that thing keeps popping out hopefully the surgery that he had will take care of it once and for all but but yeah that's that's been the whole thing i mean the talent is there he's got great instincts the whole thing it's just a matter of accepting coaching you know i mean he doesn't he doesn't um you know he doesn't turn his back on the coaching. It just seems like once he gets into the game, he thinks he can do it his way, and that his, just doing it his way hasn't worked, and he's just got to trust that that Matt Nagy and and Mike Furry and now the new coaches that are, are with him, Bill Lazor and John Filippo and the rest of the crew, that they actually know what they're talking about, and if you do it this way, you are going to be a very successful NFL wide receiver, and he just has not taken taken to it well yet.
1: It's interesting. You've got a Quarterback who can't transfer what he does in practice into games. And you've got a receiver who can't transfer the playbook onto the field as demanded by the play calls of the coach. That's a bad combination for somebody who you said ranks right behind Allen Robinson and importance in a receiving game.
2: Well, yeah, but the, the thing is, man, is he he has shown, you know, the proverbial flashes of being really good. Um, and as you mentioned, he led the team as far as receivers were concerned during his, it might've been the entire team. I'm not sure. I don't remember now, uh, in 2018, as far as touchdowns are concerned and a couple of huge games down the stretch. And if he can keep that up, I mean, there's a chance that Anthony Miller could be in 800 to 1100 yard receiver. And I think, the, I think the bears know that I think, and I think that's why furry, went out of his way to mention him during the Zoom call because they know that this is this guy look Anthony Miller is not a project you know what i mean this is not somebody who who needs delicate care because he's a project player this is a really good product that they need to mold into a really good football player and i know that they think that there is there is hope for that i mean hell they moved up in the second round to get Anthony Miller you know they and a lot of people thought that he was even a steal in in that spot so, and considering what he did at, at Memphis, where he was a, you know, he was a red zone machine. He was a touchdown machine when he played in college. And I think that they think the Bears that they could transfer all of that to the NFL. But it's just it has taken some serious coaching, you know, in his first two years, and then in this off season.
1: Earlier in the week, uh, Mike Lombardi was on uh, the morning show, the Molly and Haas show, and was talking about he said what what people who cover football people involved in football know is the worst thing you can say about a football player or a team or a unit or whatever it is he basically said the bears offensive line is soft they're not tough he said you look at them on third and one you look they don't do anything to develop you look at the running game on third and one you look at he he said they were soft and that accounts for a, a big problem and maybe that's an outgrowth of Matt Nagy is refusable to run. Maybe he doesn't want to admit you have to run. Uh, running game and third and one, converting that helps your defense. And their defense wasn't as good last year. The offense was not helping it. What did you? I don't know if you heard that, but what are your thoughts if somebody were to tell you the Bears' offensive line is not as tough as it needs to be, not as tough I, as the NFL, NFL demands?
2: I mean, that's about as damning as it gets when you yeah. call anybody in in any sport soft, let alone the offensive line, you know, by almost by definition, you can't be soft um no I, I disagree with that I mean the offensive line wasn't great last year Charles Leno made too many penalties there was still development growing pains with James Daniels and Cody Whitehair those two having to switch but no I soft is is definitely I don't, I'm not sure what Lombardi was watching when he when he makes a claim like that they were so that that sounds like he's just antagonizing at that point because soft is not what they mean. You want to talk about skill and a, a developing player, Rashad Coward at guard and the Kyle Long injury troubles that he went through. That's that's all very real and scheme is real and a lack of a running game is real, but no, no, I'm not buying. I don't, I really, I don't know what he means by that. I'd have to hear more specifics on what, like, I want to hear what he's taught, like what play, show me a play where somebody is being soft um, and I'd, I'd love to hear about it. But I, I never saw that.
1: One, one of the, the ways that um, my time around football and football people, and they talk about um, a group not being tough enough, especially a running game, is when it's third and one and the offense is basically telling you, you know what's coming and you can't stop it. That, that is a toughness in an offensive line. We're going to get this. We absolutely have to have it. We are absolutely going to get this. You know it's coming, we know it's coming, we're gonna run it, and you can't do anything about it. And the Bears never, you you can't name me, or maybe you can, maybe I'm missing it. Is there any kind of go-to running play, any, any kind of gimme running play the Bears had that they knew was good for X number of yards?
2: No, I don't think so. I think you're right about that. I think the last time they had one of those, quite frankly, was when Jordan Howard was on the roster. You know, in, in mm-hmm. his first couple of years with the team, Jordan Howard had the exact makeup to get that get that yard and then somehow score him for a few more just because of the way he was built. So no, that's a great point. I mean they, they have to and I remember that really just pissing off Harry Heastan, the offensive line coach, <laughs> like when they you're right. I mean that that is the lifeblood of an offensive line. That is so true. And a running back that when it's second and one or third and one, you gotta get that yard. Um and if if you can't, then that is a that is a check mark against your offensive line. And I know that was a big bone of contention with with the players in that locker room on that offensive line and with Harry Heestand and anybody who had a piece of coaching the offensive line that yeah, you got you got to get that right. And that, you know, that falls on Matt Nagy, too, and putting more emphasis into the running game and actually having a scheme that can produce the one yard on third and one or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, you're right about that. They got They got to get that
1: right, man. Well, I think that's where Mike Lombardi decided. Uh, this it had to be part of his thinking and that this just isn't tough enough. The coach hasn't developed that one gimme play. The offensive line doesn't have it. We can we're going to run over you nothing you can do about it because the coach doesn't doesn't believe in in running plays and it and it serves so many more purposes and now john de filippo's here and he got fired for not running the ball i mean some of this i understand coaches like to surround themselves with familiar people but and and maybe that works for them but you're you're matt nagy and you don't run the ball and you're bringing in a guy who got fired for not running the ball and you got well I don't know, Mark, can you connect the dots for me? You're just hoping the quarterback becomes so much better you don't need to run the ball? I don't understand how this works.
2: It seems like there should be. like it. Like David Montgomery, I talk about Jordan Howard being built to get that yard. David Montgomery is the same way because he's good at staying on his feet and not going down on first contact. He's good at breaking mm-hmm. tackles. So I think that, that that should exist for sure. I do think that there are, I mean, they kept talking about last year the idea of this being a collective failure of the running game and some of it is scheme we'll see what Juan Castillo the new offensive line coach has in mind because he in essence will be in charge of the the running game and making it better schematically and what and maybe personnel wise too I mean there could I don't know what the I don't know exactly how the configuration lands on the offensive line it's not out of the realm of possibility that James Daniels could go back to center and Cody Whitehair at guard. And then you have, you know, Jermaine Effetti probably as the Kyle Long this year as far as the other guard spots. And maybe Alex Bars gets some time there this year and Rashad Coward is still there. So I'll be really curious as to see to see what Castillo has in mind for that. Because I do think that, you know, Matt Nagy has always been good at handing over or allowing his coaches to coach, and will and and I think that, I think Nagy is finally ready, you know, to f- finally ready to have, to th- throw his arms up and say, okay, somebody, get me a running game, get me a running game, and then I will call the plays. But somebody's got to get this right so we can get that one yard on third and one. But I I am curious to see what Castillo comes up with.
1: You yeah, know, well, Koji likes to use the term calloused up. We're going to get these guys calloused up, and not enough. Not enough. So, all right, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, the Blackhawks did nothing this week, and they had a hell of a week. <laughs> it's an amazing thing what played out. So so we'll discuss that. It's just a remarkable, remarkable turn of events. The Blackhawks do nothing. They have a hell of a week. And it might pay to keep doing nothing the way a particular thing turned out. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. Saturday suckage. Top of the hour, I think we should do, what are you doing, Wegner? I think that's a good time for it, Mark. You think that's a good I time for it?
2: Completely agree. I'm already looking forward to hearing Hawk Harrelson belting it out and scolding an umpire. I cannot wait.
1: Right, and we'll have a trash panda update and other woodland varmints that we can we can discuss and uh, other things we can discuss. Um, the Blackhawks did nothing this week. And boy did they have a hell of a week. Here's what happened with the Blackhawks this week. Marion Hosa and Doug Wilson made the Hall of Fame. They were elected to the Hall of Fame. Marion Hosa in his first try. Doug Wilson, seemingly out of out of tries, and here he is, one of the last players not to wear a helmet. Yep. And I always I always thought he was hockey's um, Dick Clark. He just looked forever young. That that perm, that hair, and that slap shot, <laughs> and. Boy, could he make... He reared back, and the stadium just roared. It was quite a thing. I, I They're both remarkable hockey players and terrific people. And I was happy for him. I know I've yeah. met Doug a lot of times. That Also this week was the anniversary of 17 seconds. We were talking about that earlier, the 2013 Stanley Cup, which was a shortened season, but... Nobody cares because they scored two goals in 17 seconds, and one of the, the only time most of us longtime hockey people can remember, both teams pulling their goalie in the last two minutes of a game, <laughs> because that's the way it played out. And the um, the Blackhawks won there, won Stanley Cup, beat the Bruins in Boston. That was a hell of a comeback. And then yeah, it was last night, an amazing yeah. moment, no doubt. No, no, go ahead. Last night last night there was a lottery. The NHL held this draft lottery. And a placeholder team gets the number one pick. What they did with the way they're setting it up, they put the placeholder teams, meaning the teams like the Blackhawks or the teams playing in the first round, pleat teams that don't get a buy, that there were they were placed in this lottery as a placeholder group of placeholders along with the teams that definitely aren't playing and they held the lottery and there was one spot for the placeholder team and what that means is that one of the teams that loses the first play-in round for instance the Blackhawks are playing the Oilers if the Oilers win the Blackhawks would then qualify and have a 12.5% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Meanwhile Teams like absolutely horrible teams, the Red Wings, the Senators, the Kings, have no chance of getting the number one pick. It's going to be a team that is playing in the next round, but eliminated. And any team that wins that round is not in the running as one of the placeholder teams. So here come the Blackhawks in the playoffs against the Oilers. Presuming, I, I have no idea what shape Connor McDavid's going to be in, but the Blackhawks have done a remarkably good job of him by and large. And, and Connor McDavid and Leandro Seidel are terrific. The Hawks should have the better goaltender in this series. They certainly have the more decorated team. And Alex, Alexis Lafreniere is a terrific talent, a big time goal scorer. Mark, should the team tank? Are the Blackhawks better off not beating the Oilers in this series because they have a 12, 12.5% chance of getting the number one pick?
2: Absolutely, they should tank. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> but in, a, in, a, in a short postseason, anything could happen. Puck luck, uh-huh. all of that. Blackhawks aren't winning a cup this year, no matter what. I don't even know what the Blackhawks can get, despite what you just said. I don't know that they get past the Edmonton Oilers. So, oh, absolutely 100 percent they should tank and get the number one pick if they man it's so important that the blackhawks in terms of relevance in this town that they get back to some semblance of hope in in a hurry if they want to keep the uh the good thing going at the united center that they still have based on the three cups that they won so yeah man i'm all for the tank what about you
1: well i i i don't, I can't see the the players aren't doing it. I mean, the coaches could make it happen. The front office could make it happen, saying, you know, all right, we're gonna put Patrick Kane in goal tonight. You could have <laughs> do s- <laughs> something like that, and it might He'd be probably a little be too really obvious. good though. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Kater. Kater and net. And, and all you have to do is you're you're you make one. Kane makes one turnover to go I'm sorry I got a you for the period I mean the coaches <laughs> have more say in this but it's like the second period and the Blackhawks have pulled their goalie with a 2-1 lead in the second period what is going on right <laughs> that's they there will be suspicious moves and scratches and things like that perhaps but organizations have more influence than players do the players the players hate when you talk about that, and hockey players, are, all players do. Nobody wants to hear about that. They're playing for a job. They're not going to bet. Nobody on that roster really is going to. I mean, some people will benefit by that number one pick coming in, starting immediately, and the Hawks ended up moving up to third last year, and they got Kirby Dock, and, and he's, he's going to help them. Some players benefited by that, but nobody wants to see it. Nobody's. Look, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and and Duncan Keith have three Stanley Cup rings apiece. Do you think they care about Lafreniere, somebody from the Oceanique? No, they don't. Nope. Get they're out of made here, men. kid. You bother me. I'll
2: tell you who cares right.
1: in, in any
2: tank. Yeah, they're made men. The, in, the, the guy that cares in any tank in sports, the, the guy who cares more than anybody, more than the players, is the coach. Because it's, you know, the proverbial, you don't fire the players. The front office can stay in place because they dictated the tank. But, you know, that leaves Jeremy Carlton in a precarious situation, as if he's not already going into this thing. If they if they were to tank or even look bad in Edmonton, is he... I mean, I, I don't see him being back next year anyway, do you? I mean, just because... It seems like they are changing things at a rapid pace in that organization in terms of front office structure and John McDonough and Stan Bowman probably feeling some of that urgency, too. I don't know if I see a scenario where he's back anyway. I
1: I don't either. I don't know who replaces John McDonough. I think that determines... That has such a ripple effect, as you would expect, somebody at the top of the organization. Uh, I could see how that would have such an effect on on how the general manager is perceived, how the coach is perceived. All I know is this, is that when the excuse for an awful start was taken away from Colleton, when he replaced Joel Quenville, I think they lost 15 of 17 games, something really horrible. The veterans didn't want to play. The message was lost. He couldn't implement his system. And it went back to, well, he was thrown into this, and he didn't have his training camp, and he hadn't had NHL experience all right fine so then come last the start of this season I don't know if you call it last year last September he got his training camp he got time to put his system in he made a horrible defensive team he's his Blackhawks got off to another lousy start he can't get a team ready to start a season I have no reason to see him come back Nothing recommends that. And I think the only reason he might not have been fired last year before the American Thanksgiving is someone said, you know, drop this defensive crap and these guys got to play their game and just let them go. They're veterans and you're not. I, I, some kind of conversation had to be, um, had to come down like that. So I see nothing to recommend him. And John McDonough stood behind Stan Bowman, who stood behind his choice of coach. And, I, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how is it the Pittsburgh Penguins with Malkin and Crosby were in the playoffs every year. The you know, Blackhawks with Taves and Kane and Keith couldn't say that when they might not have been good enough or whatever. The, I mean, that just, that's bad. That's organizationally bad. So I, I'd be fine with that. But it depends on who comes in. I don't know. We haven't even heard a good rumor.
2: No, that's true, and you're right. I mean, there is no excuse for a, a reprieve in the playoffs during this era. And yeah, man, I mean, that you could say, well, they won three damn cups, but they've no. What they've done is set the bar high, and we're treating them like uh, as if they are at the big boy table. And you gotta, you cannot waste, you know, the guys like Keith and Taves and Kane. Even though, really. Uh, in theory, you haven't wasted them because you won three cups with them. But, yeah, you, you still you still can get a lot out of this team if you surround them with the right players and then damn it. The, the problem with Colleton is not that he's necessarily being openly ripped by players. It's that he's not being openly endorsed by players. I think that's just as big of a, of a problem when you don't have guys like standing behind him and saying, yes, he's our guy, we, he's our coach, we like the way he does things. That's not happening
1: they haven't started like they like his job depends on it uh, i wish his job did d- depend on it but by the way let me circle back to this lottery thing with the fact that the blackhawks have been a miserable team and missed the playoffs they were they and the canadians to the original six hawks and habs were two of the last teams in to the playoffs to this new 24 team format and now there's a placeholder up there the the Odds that the everybody's got a wonderful conspiracy about the NHL and that they would love this singular talent in the draft. There's the and there's nobody else that he go to either the team in Canada or the TV team in 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 the happens to be the Blackhawks, the Hawks or the Canadian the Hawks or the Habs are perfect landing spots. One of those teams, at least one of those teams, has to lose if they get this playoff thing going. So that way, goes the conspiracy theory: the NHL can place Lafreniere in one of its heritage franchises.
2: How do you fix I for that, Mark? Love that Chicago is mentioned <laughs> in relation to a conspiracy. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am for it. I am thumbs up. I am pro. I am absolutely scandalized the draft so the Blackhawks get that top. What's his name? uh, Lafren. Lafren? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Alexis. Just say Alexis. He's he's on a first-name basis. (laughs) There's there's Mario. There's Wayne. There's Alexis. All right. (laughs) We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to do what are you doing, Wagner? There's a lot of ground to cover. Trash Panda, Jay Cutler, the Chicken Hawk. There's a lot going on. we got to get to it. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?